Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus today. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers on the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast welcome in everybody it is nfl monday week five and i am feeling good here today the nfl always delivers us the gold doesn't it we got a great show today. I'm super excited. We're going to talk later on about the 49ers and the Cardinals game that was super interesting. We're going to talk about the Bears getting the win against the Raiders, how the Raiders are imposters, and how the Broncos are imposters, and how we learned literally nothing from the Saints and Washington game. In fact, I think we need to bring back an old segment from last year of the meaningless game of the weekend. Now, this might be more of a memes of the weekend type of thing, but I'm just going to hit it off the bat here. Saints in Washington, meaningless game of the weekend, learned literally nothing about either team coming out of that game. It was the Saints were slightly better than Washington, and both teams are pretty mediocre. Neither is going to make the playoffs, and if one of them does, it's going to be as a weird seven-seed situation, and nobody's going to want them in the playoffs. Meaningless game of the weekend, Saints in Washington, average football, but it also got to creep in in a 1 o'clock window that was super-duper exciting at the end. So we'll give some love to the Philadelphia Eagles in there, maybe here on this one. But if we don't get to the game here, it's going to be over on the Memes of the Weekend podcast, like Green Bay and Cincinnati. Was it maybe the most interesting game of the weekend? Yes. Was it also just a straight meme? Absolutely. So we're going to talk in depth about that on the Memes of the Weekend podcast which should be directly above the feed on this episode that you're listening to. So we'll get to all of that coming up here on the show. But first, we have the game of the weekend that I thought was going to be Sunday Night Football, but instead came from the afternoon block. And we have music for this because two of our favorite songs here were Between the Browns and the Chargers. So one of them was going to get played anyways. And you know what? The Browns deserve to have their music played, and maybe we'll hit it at some point here today because they deserve it. But for now, let us celebrate the victors with the Super Chargers music. 
Again, credit to the Cleveland Browns. It was an awesome game. There's so many fun stats we can pull from this game, so I'm just going to list a few of them right off the bat here. Courtesy of ESPN Stats and Info, the Cleveland Browns scored 42 points, had 532 yards with zero turnovers. They are the first team in NFL history, including the playoffs, to lose when having either 40 or more points and zero turnovers or 40 points, 500 yards and zero turnovers. The Cleveland Browns played awesome in this game. Their defense was fantastic. And what happened? Miles Garrett got hurt. They were missing a couple people before. And the Chargers put up 26 points in the fourth quarter. 26 points. I don't see that number really ever in football. And the Chargers... Like, it felt like it was more than that. That entire end of the game was ridiculous from being up, I think it was, was it 35 to 21 at one point, I think? No, I don't think it got to that, but it. I think it was 27-13 for sure, and then the Chargers had back-to-back touchdowns. And it was nuts, just nuts the entire way through. The Chargers going for it on their own side of the field on fourth down, down two touchdowns. And then you had Justin Herbert scrambling for a crazy touchdown. And then you had Mike Williams having two long touchdowns today because Mike Williams is now one of the most dangerous deep threats in the NFL right next to Tyreek Hill. I did have him on my fantasy team, of course. My fantasy team is kicking ass right now. I would like to give a giant FU to the Yahoo Fantasy Football predictor that said I would finish ninth place in my fantasy league because... Not only am I in first place, not only am I 4-1, but I have 120 more points than the next closest team. So, yeah, we are whooping ass this year with Mahomes and Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and Mike Williams and Derrick Henry. Uh, Anyways, the Chargers, right, 26 points in the fourth quarter. We were just going off stats. You know how many yards were in that game? 1,082 combined 1,082 yards of offense. Justin Herbert, you know what his QBR was in the game? Literally 122. Four touchdowns, no interceptions, 400 passing yards. Mike Williams, career high, 165 yards, two touchdowns. He had 36 and a half fantasy points in this game. It was ridiculous how good they played at the end of that game. And it was one of these chaos games that we celebrate all the time in football where both teams score in the 40s and it goes right down to the end. I think the last time we had one like that specifically was the Ravens-Browns game last year where we had Lamar Jackson maybe or maybe not taking a dump in the middle of a game, then coming out of the tunnel and throwing that touchdown with two minutes left on fourth and nine, and the game was like 45-42. to And that was the last real chaos game we had that felt like that Chargers and Browns game. Both these teams are legitimately good. Like, let's not just, like, parse feelings here. Like, the, the Chargers offense, which was pretty good last year, has gotten significantly better this year. And part of that is the development of Justin Herbert, but also just not, like, regressing at all. 
Joe Lombardi being a progressive offensive coordinator compared to Mike Lynn, or sorry, not Mike Lynn, Anthony Lynn, who's not really doing much with the Detroit Lions, given that he doesn't have a lot of talent. But Anthony Lynn's offenses have been kind of archaic for about a decade now. And Joe Lombardi comes in and he brings parts of the Saints offense in and they use Austin Eckler in a Camara role and it's super up-tempo and it makes Justin Herbert look like Drew Brees. And that's kind of the offense they're looking for because coming into this game, Justin Herbert had fewer yards per completion this year than Teddy Bridgewater. Like the Chargers are building an offense that resembles Justin Herbert like Drew Brees can you be crazy accurate, which Justin Herbert is crazy accurate. This game wasn't his most accurate of them all, but under normal circumstances, Justin Herbert is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. Drew Brees is the most accurate quarterback in NFL history. Okay, we're going to build Eckler through the passing game, similarly to how we used Alvin Kamara. Eckler today, five targets, five catches. He had 53 yards. If you can get 10 yards per completion from your running back, you're doing something really well in the offense. Well, what did the Chargers do this offseason? Built an offensive line from scratch. Ended up bringing in Corey Lindsley on the largest contract for a center. Rashawn Slater at left tackle. What did the Saints do when they were trying to retool that offense in between the Super Bowl 44 post-Bounty Gate run and the second Saints dynasty that just concluded where from 2017 to 2020, the Saints won 49 regular season games, the most of any team that did not make a Super Bowl. Think about that. The Saints averaged 12.2 wins per season for four years. And we don't talk about that team as like a dynastic run in the NFL because, of course, there's weird losses in the playoffs and Minnesota miracles and pass interferences in the end zone. But the Saints were legitimately dominant for years, like more dominant than the Killer Bees. Back in 2018, the Jared Goff Super Bowl year, that Saints team had the number one offense in the NFL over Patrick Mahomes, over the Los Angeles Rams of Todd Gurley having 25 touchdowns. That team with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and Drew Brees, right before Drew Brees fell off a cliff in 2019, had the number one offense in the NFL. And that's what the Chargers are essentially building right now around that offense. And we saw the glimpses of what it can be today when you combine the, basically just the, the Lane Kiffin ideology we talked about last week of punting is for cowards. We're not going to punt on any circumstances. We're not going to kick a field goal. Anytime that we're down, we can... And the Chiefs thing, by the way, this is kind of a Saints thing, but it's also a big Chiefs thing, which is just... No matter how far down we are in the game, no matter how far behind we might be, we can get a touchdown just like that. As soon as we go down 7 or 14, we can get a big play touchdown. Because Keenan Allen is essentially built into the Michael Thomas role. Keenan Allen today, 6 catches, 75 yards, ended up with the one long play of 37, but so if you take out that 37, that's five catches, 38 yards in a game where the team scored 47 points. They use Keenan Allen as a receptions guy because you have to be a really good corner to try and guard Keenan Allen, and the Chargers executed to perfection, and the one thing they have that none of those Saints teams ever had, Mike Williams. 
someone who is now a legitimate deep threat, first round or first round prospect. He was drafted seventh overall, top ten talent. Even if it was debatable when he was drafted seventh overall, like he probably should have been lower in the draft. Even still, first round talent who's just a legit deep ball, go up and get it type of guy. And if you're playing against weaker secondaries, we've seen what Mike Williams can do this year in an offense that says, we want to create big plays and we have a quarterback that can not only throw it 55 yards, he can hit you right on the spot in stride from 55 yards. All of this is made possible because of that quarterback situation. The same thing happened to Sean Payton at the end of that run with the Saints. The first two years with older Drew Brees, 2017, which is the year that they lost on the Minnesota Miracle, that year they were a three seed, they beat, or I'm sorry, they were a four seed that year, they beat the Carolina Panthers in the playoffs, and then they lost the Minnesota Miracle game. That year, the Saints offense was one coming into their own because they kind of struggled at the start of the year with is it going to be Adrian Peterson? Is it going to be Mark Ingram? And then it ended up being Alvin Kamara, and they kind of had to go through some growing pains there. But those two years for Drew Brees, Drew Brees had a 107 QBR and then a 115 QBR in 17 and 18, which was the first time Drew Brees had a QBR above 100 for six seasons roughly so 2017 he was 110 and then he was 101 in 15 and 16 so he was technically right there but significant increases for Drew Brees in 17 and 18 2018 the year that they went to the NFC championship being the year that Drew Brees had the best season of his career in terms of QBR and then 2019 he gets hurt and after that he's never really the same quarterback even though he put up 106 QBR in 2020, we all just kind of saw it and we're like, oh, he can't really throw the ball down the field. Oh, the accuracy is going down a little bit. Oh, he didn't get to 3,000 passing yards despite playing in 12 games. Oh, he's throwing a few more interceptions than we remember him throwing. And so the Saints' offense built around a Drew Brees that was still super capable is exactly what the Chargers are trying to mirror right now. It's like a new school version of that, except Justin Herbert is this new school quarterback that both Staley and Lombardi and really just the weapons that they have are contouring to that success. We saw it today. We saw it against the Kansas City Chiefs when they just went absolutely berserk. We saw what Austin Eckler was capable of on Monday Night Football because for people forget last week he had what, like 120 yards rushing, touchdown. He had another, what? I probably another I think he had another receiving touchdown in there too like we saw what he can do when you use him in the Camaro role with a similar type of offense and I'm not just doing the thing where it's like Joe Lombardi comes from the Saints and now they're running the Saints offense it's not exactly that they don't run the same offense that the New Orleans Saints did what they've built is a roster construction around a really good quarterback based on a model that has succeeded in the past with different players and different players who fit to different schemes. The beauty of Joe Lombardi and Brandon Staley so far is that they aren't really confining Justin Herbert to a certain role. And this is similar to what the Kansas City Chiefs did, where they kind of adapt and evolve the offense based on the personnel that they have. 
And it would seem straightforward, right? It's like if you have a different type of player, you change the type of plays that you're running. But you look at the Saints right now with Jameis Winston, and it feels like there hasn't been a lot of adapting and evolving. It feels like the thing that we already thought before, which is just Sean Payton got the perfect quarterback for what he wanted to run on offense. Extremely accurate, extremely forward-thinking on the future of the league is going to be built in completion percentage and extremely accurate quarterbacks. The days of completing 55% of your passes, gone. If you complete 55% of your passes, you're Drew Locke. You're not a starter anymore. Every quarterback is going to be accurate, even the ones that make the deep ball. And now we see it being contoured again for another different type of offense with Justin Herbert, who has pretty much come in and is just ridiculously talented. The Chargers just have the foresight to not put the handcuffs on him And at least from where I'm standing, because again, talking about this around the Chargers is always a tricky proposition. But from a football standpoint, the Chargers look like they have a vision. They have an end goal that they see in mind for how can we build this team around Justin Herbert. And when they're down, they're never out of it. And that's a big part just being because they have the personnel to score a touchdown within seconds anytime they want and put up 26 points against the Cleveland Browns, who we think have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Of course, when Miles Garrett is healthy, because Miles Garrett was playing injured, he missed a couple practices this week, and then got hurt during the game. So, not the same Browns defense without Miles Garrett as the anchor in there, or even an 80% Miles Garrett in there. But still, the point being, 26 points in the fourth quarter, from the Chargers after what they did to the Chiefs in the fourth quarter, outscoring them 10-0, makes me think the Chargers offense is legitimate, like top of the league good and scares me going down the road. And it's weird that this happens because these AFC teams are all basically the same from last year at the top. It's Buffalo, it's Kansas City, it's Baltimore, it's Cleveland. Those were the final four teams last year, and I suspect they'll probably be the final four teams this year. But the Chargers have now, what, beaten the Chiefs with a fourth-quarter comeback and beaten the Browns with a second-half comeback? Like, the Chargers are legitimately good on offense. It's not like the Raiders and Broncos where they started 3-0 and and they're like, are the, are the Broncos and Raiders legit? No, not legit. But you can physically see it with Justin Herbert. The fact he he's never really, other than that one game he lost 45-0 to the Patriots, he's never really looked mortal through a pretty significant sample size. Like, he's played now 20 games in the NFL. That's a pretty significant sample size to know. Justin Herbert is probably going to be an elite quarterback and not that far away. Him and Kyler, the two that we're looking at, were like, if anyone's going to reach that Mahomes and Lamar tier, it's going to be Herbert and Kyler. But if you're going to make me pick one, I don't think you can go wrong either way. And maybe this is overreacting. But I love me some Justin Herbert. You know what? We're here now. Let's play the song for the Browns because the Browns did put up a good fight today. I know they lost, but they deserve to hear their fight song played courtesy of our boys over at the Dogs of War who give us this idea and gets me hyped every time I hear it on their story. Let's go. 
All right, let's switch gears to the 49ers and the Cardinals because I was amazed by just how much Trey Lance reminds me of second-year Josh Allen. For people who don't remember, second-year Josh Allen was that year that the Bills... I mean, it was well, it was before last year, so it was 2019. It was the year the Bills went like 11-5, and and they had one of the best defenses in the NFL, and they got the five seed because they were just behind that final Patriots team that had Tom Brady and lost to the Titans in the playoffs. And when the Bills got to the playoffs, they were up 17-0 on Watson and the Texans, and they ended up blowing that lead. And there was one play that encapsulated the season for Buffalo of Josh Allen trying to lateral the football after picking up a first down on that final drive of the game. They end up recovering, but it's a scary moment that's like, oh no, what is happening right now? Why is Josh Allen lateraling this football? And so for people who don't remember, which I don't know why you would, I had to look it up, but Josh Allen that year started all 16 games threw for 3,000 passing yards, 3,089 to be exact, 20 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, which was much lower than his touchdown-to-INT ratio his rookie year. His rookie year, he was like a 53% passer, 10 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. So he threw more INTs than touchdowns his rookie year. So he got better by a good amount. It's why I didn't say Trey Lance reminds me of rookie Josh Allen. It's really second-year Josh Allen. And his quarterback rating that year was 85.3. League average is 91. So slightly below average quarterback. Makes some plays that make you kind of question what the decision making was. Super athletic. Call run plays in the offense for him. All that stuff. They're super successful as a team. But the defense is kind of carrying the way for them. And Josh Allen that year was... I think at that year he had three of the four longest sacks in the NFL that year because Josh Allen made a couple of crazy plays. And the re- the thing Trey Lance reminds me that way is Trey Lance throws the ball ridiculously hard. Like I'm just watching and the ball just zips out of his hands. And there are times where I don't know if it's a connection with a receiver or what, but like the ball goes two feet over the receiver's head and it ends up like 20 yards hitting the ground behind where he is because he's just throwing the ball so freaking hard hard at the defender and the Cardinals defense is really good like really good and so Trey Lance ends up finishing the game with 15 of 29 passing 192 yards no touchdowns and the one interception and on fourth down packages 0 for 2 and then a third one where they called a run for Kyle Juszczyk that they did not convert so it looks bad on the surface but what I think is that it's just like not ironed out very much in that in that I mean Trey Lance's game like I see the 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 I see the tools there similar to how I saw Trevor Lawrence early in the season through a lot of bad games I'm like I think I can explain some of this stuff away and I see that the gifts are there With Josh Allen, I was totally wrong. I did not think it was there. I thought he was going to be an inaccurate quarterback. I said the defense would regress in 2020. The Bills would go 6-10. Totally incorrect on Josh Allen. With Trey Lance, I am definitely willing to suspend belief a little bit. Because it took 27 games of Josh Allen starting for me to point and say, that guy is not going to succeed. 
and I was incorrect. I needed a larger sample size on Josh Allen, and Trey Lance has given us six quarters of football so far, just as Trevor Lawrence has given us five quarters of football. I have no idea what to make of Trevor Lawrence yet. I see the gifts are there. I see the moments where I understand it, like the rushing touchdown he had today against the Titans. That was one of those where I'm like, oh, that's a playmaking type of moment. And he also had an interception in the end zone that fortunately for him got called back. And the Titans kind of rolled through that game most of the way. And Derrick Henry had three touchdowns and Urban Meyer may or may not have gotten spanked by his player when he threw a challenge flag. But all of that to say, when I'm watching Trevor Lawrence, I can see the moments there, at least some of them, even if Trevor Lawrence is putting up a QBR of 92 and averaging 78 on the season, which is below where Josh Allen was in his second year. But at the very least, I can see the product there. And I feel the same way with Trey Lance, which is why I'd say right now, regardless of what happens with Jimmy G, the 49ers need to start Trey Lance no matter what from this point forward. Hand him the keys, let him develop at this point, because you're already 2-3 and three on the season. The Cardinals are really good. The Rams are really good. They're the two best teams in the NFC by my count. Buccaneers are pretty good too, but those two are the best two in the NFC by my count. Seahawks are going to be a month without Russell Wilson, maybe more. You guys have kind of locked yourself into that third spot in the NFC, and it does not matter whether you get to be the six seed, the seven seed, or miss the playoffs. Josh Allen got to play in a playoff game in 2019. He was up 17-0 on the Texans. And Deshaun Watson, a more balanced quarterback, a more developed quarterback, and a quarterback we just looked at with a higher ceiling than Josh Allen. Even before Deshaun Watson was base, is basically extricated from the sport for two years, Josh Allen was right there with Deshaun Watson at the top of the league in terms of like quarterbacks you want for the future. They're both right there. And we or I personally did not see that coming. And I see it with Trey Lance. Not that he's going to be Josh Allen. Like a 54 QBR game doesn't make it so that I'm he's going to be Josh Allen. I don't even know if Justin Herbert is going to be Josh Allen. And I've seen Justin Herbert go 20 games of just ridiculous dominance across defenses that are pretty good. But I see something there with Trey Lance where I'm not ready to just, you know, write him off at this point when he only scores 10 points against a good Cardinals defense or when he puts up an interception that looks kind of bad or goes over three on third on fourth downs or overthrows people who are only like 10 yards away. It's not ready to just write it off entirely, but the 49ers don't need to like put him back on the bench. 49ers just got to go with it at this point. Just go with it all the way through for Trey Lance. Win, lose, doesn't matter. Like today, this was the best case scenario because you just get to work on the development. From this point forward, Trey Lance is your future. We've talked before about the 49ers roster construction. This is your path forward. Similarly to the Jaguars, similarly to kind of what the Jets are doing in a much worse way because the Jets just don't have very much talent. This is your building block. This is your project. This season is about developing Trey Lance. You might make a playoff out of it just by default of having that kind of talent. You'll get George Kittle back in a month. Just worry about the developmental process right now. 
And it doesn't mean that you have to not win games. It means you might have a better chance of winning games. In situations where Jimmy G can't naked bootleg to the right, dive for the goal line, and if not for an amazing tackle by Isaiah Simmons at the half-yard line, you're scoring the game-tying touchdown against the Cardinals, who are 4-0, and the cream of the crop in the division right up there with the Rams. Like an inch away from being in a tie game, and even though you played poorly, we're at least looking at the game differently because you had that rushing touchdown. So just let Trey Lance develop. It's not a mutually exclusive thing. You either have to sacrifice wins for the quarterback's development. Those two things can go hand in hand if Trey Lance is the quarterback that you think he will be and the quarterback you gave up three first-round picks to acquire. This is Kyle from the future, and I'm sorry that I'm going to have to fail you guys this week on my part, but I am exhausted from this week. I had carved out this segment of the podcast to save for later so that I could talk about the Bills and the Chiefs and how epic it was that Patrick Mahomes was going to win and dominate Buffalo, just like our boy Razor Rosenthal said, and how Kansas City was going to redeem themselves when I could talk about how they could and should and would be 5-0 and and how Travis Kelsey probably had 120 yards and how we would get to play this magical song every time that the Kansas City Chiefs win. That seems to be not the case, because this is normally when I would go to sleep. It's about 9 o'clock West Coast time right now. The Buffalo Bills just got a pick six against the Kansas City Chiefs to go up 31-13. Josh Allen is averaging 31 yards per completion on the game right now. He has seven completions for 219 yards, because pretty much... All the Buffalo Bills are doing at this point is just throwing the ball deep on every single play because the Kansas City Chiefs have literally no secondary. So I'm going to call it right now here with 7 minutes and 12 seconds left in the third quarter at time of recording. The Buffalo Bills beat the Kansas City Chiefs to advance to 4-1. and one. The Chiefs fall to 2-3, and three, even though the Chiefs themselves should be 4-1, and one, because if not for Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumbles and the one weird Mahomes game every year where he throws three interceptions, the Chiefs would have been undefeated coming into this game. And I'm getting really tired of saying the Kansas City Chiefs thing because the Chiefs have been really good throughout the season. They're just not as good as they've been in years past. And their defense is not the same that it was even the year that they didn't make the Super Bowl back in Mahomes' MVP year where they finished 29th in DVOA on defense. They're even worse than that this year. And as we saw in the first two quarters and a half of this football game maybe something changed after I went to bed but in the first two and a half quarters of the game we saw just Kansas City dominated 
on defense by Josh Allen. As I mentioned, 31. He had seven completions in the first half. Three of them were for over 50 yards, two of them ending in touchdowns. That other 50-plus yard play also converted to a touchdown, and the Buffalo Bills defense played pretty well. Mahomes, at the time that I finished recording here, has a 64 QBR, and Patrick Mahomes over the past 12 games, going back to the regular season last year, actually has the 20th QBR in the NFL, which is a little interesting, surprising, weird sample, all of that stuff. But it's still fascinating because the Kansas City Chiefs did kind of get pummeled and the defense really had no response for just a totally overwhelming Buffalo offense. Kansas City is absolutely beatable, but we acknowledged that a few weeks ago after the Ravens game. is like the Chiefs are the best team, but also all of these teams can beat them on any given day. That didn't quite feel like the case last year when the Chiefs were just an overwhelming super team. Does the regular season still not matter for the Chiefs? Absolutely. And I'm also getting tired of saying that over the past few weeks because Kansas City has been the team that we expected them to be just awful on defense and so Buffalo is a really good team Baltimore is a really good team we just spent 20 minutes talking about how the Chargers are a really good team the Browns are a really good team would I still shake the Chiefs over them absolutely but I think that might just be a byproduct of recency bias more than anything else. So if you're listening to this here on a Monday morning on your drive into work, or you're listening to this on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and listening to this analysis that honestly, for being transparent, it's retread analysis of past Chiefs games because the Chiefs would usually lead the broadcast each of the past like four weeks. So since you're listening to these retread takes of the Kansas City Chiefs losing, Congratulations to the Buffalo Bills, and there's absolutely no way that this could possibly come back to haunt me because I decided to go to bed when the Buffalo Bills were up 18 points against the Kansas City Chiefs with, for the spirit of transparency, 4 minutes and 51 seconds left in the third quarter. Clyde Edwards-Alaire just left with an injury that may or may not be serious. I mean, he's like limping back into the locker room, so they're probably not going to have Clyde Edwards-Alaire the rest of the game, and... Also, they are coming off of a pick six. I mean, they're kind of moving the ball up the field now, but still. By the way, just another side note real quick here. Um, I had no idea until about 20 minutes ago that uh, Nick Bolton, the top draft pick for the Kansas City Chiefs this year, he's a linebacker from Missouri. We were talking about him a bunch with our boy Blake Jude because he loved him as a prospect, as a low first-round grade. I had no idea that Nick Bolton was black. So, yeah, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is gone. Apparently Nick Bolton is black. And uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are down 18 points and are going to lose to the Buffalo Bills because there is no way that this will come back to bite me, my decision to go to sleep, right? 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 So why are we playing this song, Feels Good, which was number one back in like 1986? Well, because the band there is Tony, Tony, Tony. And we got to talk about Kadarius Tony. 
here on the podcast. We got like four games that we're going to hit like real quick here to analyze here on this Football Monday because one of the things that we do here within these two podcasts, we're going to analyze every single game that you see on Sunday, even that terrible Saints-Washington game that we kind of talked about earlier, but also just acknowledged as the forgettable game of the day. All the analysis you need from that game is just, we didn't learn anything new. The Saints are a slightly above average team, and Washington is a mediocre team. Saints are slightly better than Washington, and uh, both teams can score points at will. Make a couple turnovers, neither really has a quarterback. Kind of knew what we knew about them. So that's your analysis from that. All you need to take away from that. Let's talk about the Giants and Cowboys game, because the Giants came into this game without Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton. They lost Kenny Galladay early in the game. Saquon Barkley had just the most Saquon Barkley injury ever, where after a play was over, he rolled on a guy's ankle, swelled up like a giant purple, like, I don't even know. It looked like if you poked it, it would be like a water balloon, and it would just, like, start gushing out, like, blood and puss and stuff. And so, uh, out goes Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones gets concussed, he leaves the game, all of a sudden you're left with Mike Glennon, Devontae Booker, and... Kadarius Tony, but Tony Tony Tony, who had the first big catch of the game, and I was like, "Oh, good for Kadarius Tony." Because, uh, fun fact, it took Daniel Jones 58 minutes to complete his first pass of that game against the Cowboys. Kicked off at 1:25 West Coast time. First pass completed at 2:23 West Coast time. The Cowboys were only up 10 nothing at that point because Dak Prescott fumbled a snap at the goal line. Point being. Kadarius Toney had a big game, seven catches, 144 yards. He became basically the wide receiver one for Mike Glennon. Their other wide receiver, apparently, John Ross, found out he was on the Giants. This kind of happens every week where there's a few players that I'm like, wow, I can't believe they play for that team. Happened to me this week with Sheldon Rankins, found out he's a Jet. Tavon Austin, apparently a Jacksonville Jaguar. Happens every week you have players like that, and I send texts to my brother a bunch, and I'm like, damn, I can't believe Sheldon Rankins is a Jet, or that Tavon Austin is a Jaguar, or that John Ross is a New York Giant. It's a great who he play for that we rediscover every few weeks. But anyways, Kadarius Tony, seven catches, 144 yards, and then punches a Dallas Cowboy, and that's the end of his day. He also got hurt on a play and accidentally headbutted one of his coaches on the sidelines, Hell of a day for Kadarius Toney, as the Giants just frustratingly lose again. Like, the Giants should be 0-5. The Saints kind of collapsed last week on them, and that's going to be one of those weird results we look back on, and we're like, oh yeah, Giants beat the Saints with a 14-point fourth-quarter comeback. That was weird. It was also the moment that I immediately realized the Saints are not going to make the playoffs this year, which is fine. The Saints can go 9-8 and and still have a respectable season. It's They lost a lot of pieces over the offseason. They were a second-round exit last year. And stuff like that's going to happen. And the Giants are just terrible and sad. And Gettleman should be fired at this point. Because even though Tony did have the breakout game, he was the guy we were making fun of a couple weeks ago because he had negative two receiving yards through the first two games of his career. That's right, negative two receiving yards. So, shout out to Kadarius Tony for the game today, and we can play the Tony, Tony, Tony song anytime he does something interesting, but it's going to be hard to be more interesting than having 144 yards in the game, 
then getting ejected for punching someone, also headbutting your coach, and basically being the only healthy member of the New York Giants offense left. Because their first-round pick from 2020, Andrew Thomas, you may remember him. He's the guy they took over Jedrick Wills, Mekhi Becton, and Tristan Wirfs, all of whom are, and this is true, better than Andrew Thomas at the exact same position, taken within 10 picks of Andrew Thomas, He's now out for the Giants as well. So literally the entire offense for the Giants got injured. Their top four wide receivers, number one running back, quarterback, and starting left tackle, all gone for a Giants team that already didn't have expectations coming into the year. And last year their bright spot was their defense, and now this year their defense can't stop shit. Sorry, Giants. Cowboys, very fun. CeeDee Lamb, really talented. We'll keep an eye on them as we go forward because the Cowboys are uh, going to win the NFC East, but it's not going to be one of those fluke things where they go like 9-7 and seven or 8-8. Eight and eight. Cowboys are going to legitimately win the NFC East by beating the living shit out of the Giants, racial slurs, and Eagles across the next three months of the season. These two games were kind of just like mirror images of each other, so we'll talk about them together. Bears-Raiders, Eagles-Panthers. Why were they mirror images of each other? One, exposed teams that started the season 3-0, but we all kind of had an idea weren't really as good as the 3-0 record suggested. Las Vegas shouldn't have even been 3-0 in the first place. Ravens should have won that Monday night football game to start the season. Carolina, Sam Darnold revenge tour. We were having a bunch of fun with that, but unfortunately they played the Texans and the Saints and some other team I don't remember, but... It was a fun revenge tour while it lasted. Oh, the Jets. That's right. Jets, Saints, Texans. We were joking about maybe they could go 7-0. and We haven't gotten to play the Industry Baby Sam Darnold song in a while just because it's not been a great stretch for the Panthers. Had the lead today. Um, fun stat from this game. This is more of a memes of the weekend stat, but still funny. Sam Darnold and Jalen Hurts through the first three quarters combined for 181 passing yards. Jalen Hurts had 93, and Sam Darnold had 89. Adds up to 162, but if you take one in half, it's a weird roundup situation. So 181 yards in the first three quarters between the two of them. Neither quarterback had over 100 yards. But Jalen Hurts picked up the slack late in the game, and in true Eagles and Panthers fashion, the Eagles win the game on a long pass interference call against the Carolina Panthers. So... Eagles exposed Carolina that way. Bears exposed the Raiders. Um, I'm sorry earlier in our chaos from Wired Up this week, we missed giving out the picks. You guys already knew Blake Jude's picks for the week, but just want to update the pick'em pool real quick here because we uh, did not update it on Wired Up like we usually do. So you guys just have to take my word for it. These are the legitimate games that we picked. So our man Walter had... The Chiefs, the Dolphins, the Saints, the Cowboys, and the Chargers. Spreads will come in later on. I'm keeping track of this one. Uh, DSD Cam had the Panthers, the Falcons, the Chargers, Baltimore, and the Washington football team. And I had Kansas City, Baltimore, Cleveland. That one's going to hurt because had Austin Eckler just gone down and they kicked the field goal the Browns still would have covered. So that one hurts. 
And it hurts even more because Walter and Cam both picked the Chargers. I also had the Bears, which is the reason I just thought of the pick'em pool is because I picked the Bears plus five and a half against the Raiders, took the dub on that one, and had the 49ers, who unfortunately did not cover the spread at the end of that game. So not the greatest week for myself, but I'm still holding out hope for the Baltimore Ravens at least. Took a couple of brutal L's down this stretch there, so... That, that was the update on the pick'em pool. I'll figure out the standings at the end of today just because there's a lot going on. But forgot to update that back on, uh, what's it called? Back on Sunday with Wired Up. So that was the picks for the week. Uh, a lot of stuff was going on this weekend. A lot of baseball going on. A lot of college football and now a lot of NFL. So uh, Tom Brady. Let's talk about Tom Brady real quick to close out this lovely NFL Monday podcast. Because the dude just kicked ass on the Dolphins, whose defense is, uh, I feel very vindicated. Like, sometimes you get to be very right. This one I feel very right on, which is just the fact that when you generate a lot of turnovers, it can mask inefficiencies on your defense. Miami Dolphins led the league in turnovers last year and had the number 11 offense in, or sorry, 11 defense. And the Dolphins also spent a bunch of money in 2020 on the free agent class like Byron Murphy and Van Noy and Shaq Lawson, who's no longer on the team. They traded him for Bernardrick McKinney from the Texans. They spent a bunch of money in free agency, and usually that doesn't translate super well year over year. The first year you're going to get better by the second year those contracts start to look a little bit worse just because you kind of can project NFL players' skill sets across one year, two and three years becomes impossibly difficult. It's the reason why, in part, that the NFL is fighting for the non-guaranteed contracts more than anything else because some of those contracts can age very, very poorly, very, very quickly in the NFL. And Miami was one of these teams that it felt like they were going to regress coming into this year. And I feel vindicated to know that the Miami Dolphins defense is indeed not very good at stopping people. And so Miami's got a middle of the road to below average defense. And Reed Sinet was playing downs for the Miami Dolphins at quarterback today. It was just brutal luck for Miami. Like Will Fuller being hurt, Devontae Parker being hurt, Jalen Waddell just nowhere in sight at this point. Tua Tungavailoa being hurt. Dolphins have just gotten terrible luck the way that it seems to happen in the AFC East. And this year's going to be a wash for them. Uh, the rebuild. This was supposed to be year three of the Dolphin rebuild. So next year is supposed to be the year that they see the results from this. And the Tua experiment is obviously on shaky ground at this point because the Dolphins might put pressure on the organization to make some kind of move. At this point, it's going to be a lost season, and I think Miami's going to be one of these teams that we kind of forget about by the time we come around to middle of November, December, where we kind of do the mixies with teams we kind of care about, but the teams that are really bad, we just stop paying attention to them altogether, which sucks for the Dolphins because they traded their first-round pick to the Eagles to get Jalen Waddell. Now they do have the 49ers first round pick, but the 49ers look like they're going to be better than the Dolphins. So they probably should have traded the Eagles, the 49ers pick instead of their own. I think they intended to be better than they've been so far this year. Tough break for Miami. We'll see what they end up doing going forward. Tom Brady was where I was going to talk first because Tom Brady (laughs) broke all kinds of even crazy stats for Tom Brady. First time in his career, he had 400 yards 
and five touchdowns because, of course, that's just how Tom Brady does it. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers put up 48 points. Antonio Brown had two long touchdowns. The fact they did it with, or sorry, 45 points, not 48. But the fact they did it without Rob Gronkowski is just adding to just how ridiculous these weapons are for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at this point. And Tom Brady threw five touchdowns, but it's not like Leonard Fournette didn't also have a touchdown in that game. I just want to see who did end up getting the touchdowns. Evans had two. That's right. I forgot about the second Evans touchdown. Antonio Brown, seven catches, 124 yards, two TDs. And then Giovanni Bernard had that one touchdown where he kind of like flipped into the end zone. Amazing. Giovanni Bernard is only 30 years old. I'm sorry, under 30 years old, I think. But we'll save Giovanni Bernard talk for when we talk to Blake Jude and his undefeated Kentucky Wildcats who are going into Georgia week with potentially a clear path to win the SEC East if they can just beat the Bulldogs. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that is our NFL Monday pod here on Take It Easy, a full-ass hour of NFL coverage straight in your face. If you want another 30 minutes of NFL coverage, but more funny than anything else, check out the Memes of the Weekend podcast as well. It's right above here in your podcast feed. If you want the other talk from the weekend, whether it's baseball or college football or even a little bit of NFL mixed in there, check out Wired Up from yesterday if you want that full pod as well. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.